We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the Tweet Machine. You guys know where to follow me. That's at Mike Dugar, M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. Also, shout out to all of our YouTube subscribers, Seahawks Men, the number two man uh, on YouTube. We appreciate all the love. Got more content coming for you later in the week. Uh, Chris, talk to him. What is good, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at C-K-I-D-D-206 and that's C-Kidd-206. We are coming to you with our midweek episode. Uh, you guys who's following the show know that we usually talk to someone who covers the opponent. Uh, this week, the Seahawks are preparing to play the Arizona Cardinals. Um, two reasons we are not talking to uh, someone who covers the Cardinals this week. One, no one covers the Cardinals. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. I think it's like the Arizona Republic. And I think ESPN has, has someone there. Maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, so that's that's part one. And part two, the Seahawks defense is struggling at such a high level that we need to figure out what the hell is going on before we focus too much on the opponent. So to help us break down Seattle's defense, we have uh, one of the homies from the athletic. There's a lot of great film studies for the company. Ted Wynn is joining us on the show. Ted, welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Oh man, we are really excited about it. You do great, great work. Um, despite the fact that for some reason we can't just throw film into our stories, it's got to be like you know pictures and stuff like that. Like I, I'm very impressed by how you and some other film guys uh, handle that. And so let's 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 dive right into Seattle's defense, the biggest topic of discussion uh, in the football world uh, in Seattle right now. So the Seahawks are all in kind of on the Fangio style three, four front too high uh, scheme. I say all in now because they've dabbled in it in 2020 dabbled uh, pretty heavily in 2021 and were like, I 10 toes in uh, on this thing. Uh, Just so our uh, listeners have an understanding, what is the, what are some of the biggest differences and perhaps even the pros and cons of going from what Vic Fangio made popular and what we're seeing around the rest of the league versus what Pete Carroll became known for with like the covered three stuff. Yeah, I think one of the, the biggest differences is uh, the box count and the techniques you use up front. And, you know, with the Fangio tree, you're trying to get too high. You're trying to get two safeties deep. Um, so when you do that, you know, you have one less guy in the box, right? So when you have one less guy in the box, you have to account for all those gaps somehow. And you do that by your defensive line playing a technique uh, that they call playing a gap in half, right? So you are not only in charge of one gap, you are, you have a primary gap you have to play and you have a secondary gap you have to play. Uh, when you're in single high and you can have eight guys in a box and you do have eight guys in a box a lot, you could, you just play one gap and you play it very aggressively. You go upfield and um, you know, you, you try to get those TFLs and, and then you have that eighth man in the box accounting for that extra gap. And that was Cam Chancellor when, you know, it's a legion of boom. Um, but when you're playing this gap and half technique, you're playing a little more passively. You're not quite, you know, you're not flying up field. And I think one of the troubles with Seahawks defense right now is they are one of the worst run defense teams in the league. Um, 
and they're getting blown off the ball. And it starts with a defensive line. You see them trying to play that passive gap and half technique, and they're getting driven five yards downfield. And, uh, you know, Puna Ford, who has been a pretty good defensive lineman, you know, when I watched him, I was just surprised at how much, how far he was getting knocked back. Um, and, and that kind of starts all the problems right there when you're just getting given up so many explosive runs and then you get hit by play action. Um, it, it's just, you know, a, a recipe for disaster. And then on top of that, you have a ton of communication breakdowns with the secondary, you know, like, especially in that Detroit game, I was kind of stunned by how many blown coverages they had in that game, you know, and that TJ Hawkinson uh, touchdown and, and me and you talked about it in the article we wrote about the Seahawks defense, um, where he broke wide open down the sideline. They looked like they made a check. Everybody else playing a man to man, but Jordan Brooks, the linebacker, was playing zone. So he kind of stopped at you know 10, 12 yards where he was supposed to in zone. And Hawkinson just keeps running down the sideline. So, you know, the the two biggest problems I see with the defense right now is the run defense and just the blown coverages. You got to give yourself a chance. Well, you kind of answered that one because I was going to ask next, when you watch the film, what's the biggest problems you've identified? You hit on that immediately. What can be fixed? What do you think the Seahawks can do differently to fix that problem? I saw Mike drop a – you quote tweeted what Richard Sherman said. Do you have that quote, Mike, what he had to say about the, what the Seahawks should do? You basically, I think he basically said the Seahawks need to get back to what they know, their bread and butter, and that's cover three. And that would obviously have the safety in the box. Do you think that would help the run game? But is it a give and take scenario where, hey, yeah, it helps the run game, but then people are going to throw on you now because the pass defense isn't good either? Yeah, I mean, when you you look at the stats versus cover three, uh, quarterbacks versus cover three, especially the elite ones, it's it's they they want to see cover three, you know, um, and that's one of the reasons why the Legion of Boom style of defense went out of vogue and the Fangio defense is in vogue now it's because quarterbacks and offensive coordinators, they know how to attack cover three. Uh, but it, it's really a hard fix because, you know, you're, you, I, I think if you do go back to cover three, then, and you're trying to get the def- those defensive linemen more aggressive and uh, coming up field more than you're complete, you're making a completely different philosophical change than you started the season with. So now you're, you're telling defensive linemen, oh, you know, throw out everything we've been teaching throughout the, the offseason and preseason, and now we're going to go back to this style of defense. And I think it's pretty difficult. I, I think the best bet you have is to, you know, maybe try to get these guys to, to learn a technique a little bit more. Maybe you do get it, get some more guys in a box. But uh, just to say that we're going to scrap all this Fangio stuff and move back to cover three, I, I, I think is a pretty – drastic change and I, I don't know if it's going to fix the problems that are, are present right now yeah sherm uh, on his on the richard Sherman podcast uh who knew sure was sherm was like the easiest guy to to imagine and when he was a player if you pulled all the players like hey which one of you guys is going to start a podcast when you're done sherm was the obvious answer uh on that but anyway on sherm's podcast uh he said yeah they, they got to go back to their bread and butter they're running quarters too high stuff um and just just not working he joked he's going to have a combo with pete I, I imagine that combo is probably <laughs> being had uh, as we record. Uh, but let, let's 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 look at these specific position groups because um, they're all under fire for different reasons. Uh, the 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 main one, you know, is the inside linebackers with Cody Barton, you know, starting uh, starting in place of basically for Bobby Wagner, who they cut, and I was with the Rams. They've kind of passed the torch to Jordan Brooks, twenty twenty first round pick, who is now the green dot guy, the guy calling the signals. Uh, he's the new quarterback of the defense, uh, quote unquote. You know, this is a, a franchise. It's a, it's a little. Some of the criticism they're under is probably a little unfair to them because they are immediately coming after Bobby and KJ. You know, it's like be, like how Tedrick Thompson got drafted to replace Earl Thomas. It's like that's that's tough. You know, yeah, that's just very hard, no matter how good you are. But let, let's talk about Cody and Jordan real quick. Uh, Cody specifically, just blanket. What what are you seeing from him when you watch the film? Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't want to get too harsh, but it's it's bad. He <laughs> looks he looks lost in a run game, and then when he's in zone coverage, it looks like he has no idea what's going on behind him or where he needs to be. Um, and he you know he's missing tackles. He looks like he he's just playing slow, and I think things are really snowballing for him right now because he he legitimately looks like one of the the worst inside linebackers, starting inside linebackers that that I've seen this year 
I'm gonna I'm gonna let's let's see if uh I'm trying to think of a play that maybe could illustrate this. I'm looking at like the Falcons TD run, um, you know, that he had. You know, that's what I'm talking about, the Cordell Patterson, you know, run to the to the defense's left. Is is some of the stuff that is he's doing is that fixable? Is that maybe all right, if he plays more, you know, because this is his first year as a starter. If he plays more, can you fix some of that stuff? Obviously, not to miss tackles. You just got to tackle a guy. But just some of the awareness stuff, just looking like he knows what he's doing out there, is that fixable? Uh, I think just right now he's not playing with a ton of confidence. And I, I think maybe he doesn't know the system as well as he should. Or if he does, he just doesn't have confidence in what he's seeing, how to line up. And I think it's just snowballing. So I, I think maybe – with more experience and more knowledge of the system, he could gain a little bit of confidence and just play. But um, right now it just doesn't look like he's comfortable with what he's seeing, his checks. And, um, you know, I think it's just leading to a lot of very slow and, and bad play. And, you know, it, it might even help if you have a backup that could come in and, you know, maybe give him some time off to give him some time to mentally reset that could help him right now. But, um, yeah, I, I just think right now he just ha- he's playing with without any confidence in, in what he's doing. Before we get to Jordan on on the inside linebackers in the Fangio kind of style scheme, what are there just specifically in coverage? Like, what are what's what are they asked to do, and how are offenses usually trying to attack those guys? Uh, you know, I, I think in a lot of quarters coverage, um, they're a charge of covering the final three receiver after the distribution. So, you know, sometimes that could be a wide receiver. Sometimes that could be a tight end. So you have to be pretty athletic and you have to be able to to run with those guys. But you do have a leverage advantage because you are waiting inside for uh, those routes. And then in cover two, you're playing a lot of, you know, hook zone. Uh, so you, you have to be aware of routes coming into your area. Um, so, yeah, I mean, generally in this defense, you, you got to be pretty athletic to survive. And, you know, I, I just don't know if he does, because again, it's hard to judge him just because I I just don't think he's playing um, with a lot of confidence, what he's doing. And that's causing him to play a step slow. Yeah. Cause I, Mike and I, Oh, go ahead, Mike. No, you got it. Go ahead. Mike and I have talked about it on the show. There are times where Cody's in the right spot, but it feels you touched on it. He's just not aware. He doesn't have the feel for the game yet. And maybe that is because he hasn't had the starts. He hasn't played as a starter. He's always been, if someone goes gets hurt, you're next up in line. And now he's thrown into the fire, and maybe he's just not ready. So the hope is maybe in two, three weeks he has the defense down, and instead of questioning where he's at on the field, he goes and makes the play. Because I think, Mike, you wrote in your article, wrote in a story after a game that he's against opposing offenses, Eleven quarterbacks are 11-11 when throwing his way. I mean, And you go back and look at the film, he's right there. And I think to your point, Ted, he's just not comfortable where he's at and is unsure instead of just reacting and playing football. Yes, it, it, it's pretty tough. I mean, when you're not when you haven't started in a while or ever, really, I, yeah, it just can be can be tough when you're thrown into fire. Let's move to uh, let's do him to Jordan. Ted, what are you seeing from uh, Jordan Brooks, the new signal caller on this defense? Yeah, you know, I've I, even before this year, I always thought Jordan was a, was a really good player. I thought he was underrated in coverage. Uh, he was always in the right spot. Uh, this year, I, I think he's still that same player, but he's having to do a lot more and just having uh, to chase and try to fill in for spots that, you know, where they're lacking in this defense. So it, it seems like he's just – there's too much to make up for, and I don't think he's – and I think there's very few guys that can be elite enough to make up for all the problems in, in this defense right now. But I still think he, he's a, a, a very good player. Uh, you know, one of the things that we've talked about on the show is that um, unless you just either change the scheme or bring in entirely new players, two things that are like not practical in the middle of the season, coaching staffs are largely asking guys, hey, play better, uh, you know, which is tough. Um, but the question I always, you know, push back is, all right, how much – who are you asking to play better? How much how, how how much better can you expect them to play? And then how long will that take? Um, so I'm going to throw a little bit of that to you. Like how with Jordan in particular, I want to focus on him. Um, how much better can we expect Jordan to reasonably play? You know, he feels like he has a bigger sample size to work from in that regard. So how much better do you think he can play? Uh, 
you know, when I when I watch the defense, I, I see so many other problems that I can't really I de- say that he's the problem. You know, I mean, there's definitely uh, some things that he he could do better, uh, and but I just I don't see him as a problem. And uh, there's so many other areas that I would address um, rather than and, than looking at at Jordan. I know that's not a great answer, but that, you know that's all that yeah. I, I could think of when judging Jordan. Is, I, I I would just say it's hard to judge him amongst everything that's going on, but I, I think he's a good player. You know, honestly, though, that's that's probably a little bit of good news here, identifying the guys who aren't problems. Because um, like you said, it feels like um, everyone – Seattle gets a lot of national attention, maybe not as much this year, but the attention that they are getting is either like people who watch film or whatever. It's either A, on Gino, which is warranted, or it's like, uh, wow, look how bad Seattle's run defense is. Um, you know, so in identifying those problems, if, if Jordan's not high on the list of them, that is good. You know, that is legitimately good news. Let's – Let's move yeah. to the. D- I mean, D-line. just one last thing. Like it, you know. You obviously you want to see him come up to the line aggressively and get some TFLs or make some tackles at the line of scrimmage. But at the same time, there's like defensive lineman getting pushed into its lap. You know, so that, that's that's kind of where I'm at with with Jordan. It's just hard to judge. Yeah the the uh, the linebacker position. Uh, Bobby Wagner would tell us this all the time. You know, like I need my guys up front to keep me clean. You know, keep guys off of me. Um, he would always every time he has a big game, he, he would always shout out the the D line. You know, it's, he was very similar to a running back shouting out his O line in that way. It's like, yeah, shout out to me, Bain or whoever, Q Jeff, Puna, Big Al. I was like, yeah, those guys make my job easier. So as we look at the D line, whew, and I talked about uh, Puna. Um, is is there? I know Big Al's playing well to you, right? Is, are we, we all agreeing there, Ted? Are you seeing that like ninety nine is playing well for this defense? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I think he he holds up his end of the bargain. You know, he's not one of the guys I see get pushed back very much. Um, you know, going back to last year, I thought he he is a pretty good nose tackle and holds up at the point of attack. So what is what is Al doing that the other guys just aren't? Or they got so much different responsibilities than everyone else? Like where can maybe Q Jeff, Q Jeff, Puna, Brian, how can they get better in this scheme? Like what aren't they doing? They just he's not getting pushed back. You know, he he's 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 holding his gap, he's playing his technique, he's you know, holding strong against double teams. Um, you know, and I haven't watched a ton of Puna Ford uh, be, before this year. I know I knew guys, a lot of people liked him before, but man, when I, when I watch him, he's one of the guys that constantly just gets pushed back behind the, the line of scrimmage. And with Quentin Jefferson, you know, he's he's a single gap guy. You know, when he was in Seattle, he was really good playing single gap. When he was in Las Vegas, he was a really good single gap guy. So I, I'm not sure if he's quite the right fit for uh, for this type of scheme. Um, and Shelby Harris, uh, he. He hasn't played. Has he played every game, or he he's missed a couple of games? Yeah, he didn't play against the Falcons, and he got hurt like three snaps into the Niners game in Week Two. So he's really only been in the Lions game, and he he obviously played against Denver uh, and played played against the Lions, and then he just played against the Saints in Week Five. Okay, yeah, I mean, you know, he's a guy that has experience in this defense, so I, I would have expected him uh, to ma- to be a little bit more of an impactful player. So one one thing uh, following the, the trend of uh, bringing in former Seahawks commentary is that KJ Wright actually 
few weeks ago said after the Falcons game, he was like, yo, um, the only guy who's built for this scheme is Al Woods. And he, he talked about how, like what you're saying, uh, Al can hold two guys or hold two gaps, whereas Quentin and Puna are more built to attack versus, you know, being more patient. Um, is the, is if with that being the case to fix the run defense, can you just, maybe you can't change the whole scheme, but Kane's like, all right, we're going we're going to make our guys be more aggressive. Is that a change you can make in a week or during a bye week, just in the middle of the season to maybe help out Shelby Puna uh, and Q Jeff in the run game? You could, I mean, I think it, it will take a, you know, if you do that, it's going to be a philosophical change on every level. It's not just uh, with your defensive line. So if you, I mean, and if your guys are getting pushed back and you feel like, you know, these are the, these guys are who they are and we can't, you know, force them into a, a role that they don't fit in, then maybe you do make that change. And, and it's possible because, you know, the, the, the Niners are a single gap team and they play a ton of too high too. Um, so you, you can't do it, but it, it's going to take a philosophical change on, on multiple levels for them to do it. And if, um, and who knows, that might be the best move for them, but um, it, it just know that it, it's going to be difficult and it's going to take buy-in from every level of the defense. You know, um, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons Seattle went to this this scheme, the base of the base three four was they were their, their edges were a problem. You know, they're playing teams who were running, getting on the edge against them, particularly in the division with the Rams and the 49ers kicking their ass uh, on the edges. So ah, here's how we can address, you know, that issue. And it seems like particularly in the run game as well, the edges are still an, an issue, uh, at least from my relatively untrained eye up front. In that regard, what are you seeing from? They're their Sam or their their outside backers when it comes to stopping some of these runs that teams are getting off. Yeah, you know, I, I think Nawusu was. Am I saying his name right? Nawusu. Nawusu. Mm, that's a good. It's either, I think it's Nawusu, but <laughs> you're, you're Nawusu. Nawusu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah, I thought he had a really good um, game. You know, game one against Russell Wilson, um, but that game plan was really specific for him to kind of be a spy and um, chase down Russell Wilson after they, they get him to get outside the pocket. Uh, but as far as hold, you know, holding his ground and, and kind of being able to hold up against tight ends, there's times where he just gets washed out too. So um, I think there's a, there's a bit of the same problem with the in, in, interior is, you know, the, the outside guys aren't as strong at the point of attack as you would like them to be. Just to clarify, it's uh, Nuwosu. Nuwosu. Yep, yep. They got that. I'd be forgetting they have the pronunciation guides uh, <laughs> on the, the roster. It's actually kind of funny. They have Joey Blunt on here, and it just says Blunt. <laughs> I feel like if, you, if you're reading Joey Blunt's name, uh, you'll know. One, one last one on the, on the D-line. Of what, is, what is going on with uh, 52? What are you seeing from Daryl Taylor right now in this defense? Uh, you know what? I, I haven't probably seen him enough or I don't have enough notes on him to give you a great, um, great answer on that. Fair enough. He's one of the, the, the coaching staff has honestly given us uh, quite a bit on Daryl by not playing him on early downs uh, (laughs) anymore. They just, they just also re-signed Bruce Irvin uh, too. Apparently they bring him back. Yeah. The practice squad. Yeah. So (laughs) that's uh, last time Bruce played for the Seahawks is when they uh, were in 2020, when they were doing kind of the the Mm. switch to the three, four and and Bruce was their starting uh, Sam. Uh, pretty much they kind of brought him back and that really blew his knee out against the Patriots in week two and everything everything kind of kind of spiraled uh from there as yeah so the, the Chris I don't I don't feel it's weird man I thought the D-line would be solid I thought that would be the strength of the group I'm sure Clint Hurt thought the same thing coming into camp that's just not been the case through five weeks I'm pretty sure on multiple podcasts we said oh D-line I think we'll be great there we're gonna have Daryl Taylor looks like he's faster this season but so far that's one thing we haven't seen. But I will look at something that does show a little promise, and that might be the cornerback room, especially with the way Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant are playing. Kobe Bryant has had – he gave up a touchdown to Chris Olave. Great route. Just didn't recover. But I want to get your thoughts on Tariq Woolen and Kobe. Were you high on them when the Seahawks took those guys in the draft? Did you think that would be a good fit? Yeah, I thought Tariq Woolen was a, was a perfect fit for the type of corners that Seattle wanted, you know, super athletic, lengthy. Uh, but even I did not expect him to be playing as well as he has early on in his career than 
he, than he is now. You know, I thought it would take some time for him to develop, but um, he, he's really playing at, at a high level. And I, th- I think he has six penalties, which is the only uh, blemish on, on him right now. He has to clean some of those things up. Uh, but he, he's a playmaker. He's a, he's around the ball. He's covering guys up. Um, so I, I think they hit big on, on Tariq Wool, and I think he's just going to continue to get better. And before before the game against the Saints, I I, I thought Kobe Bryant was just not playing very well. Uh, you know, I, I think he was just giving up way too much cushion to guys. I he, sometimes it looked like he didn't understand where his leverage would be, and they were giving up a lot of yardage to guys in the slot. And uh, I thought Kobe Bryant was a big reason for that. But I thought he looked better against the Saints. I thought he was playing guys tighter. I thought he was a little bit more aggressive. And like you said, he did give up that touchdown to. Alave, but it, it was pretty tight coverage for the most part. Uh, so that was a pretty encouraging game for uh, for Kobe Bryant. What do you want to see improvement on from Kobe? I know you said he's coming up more, not giving so much cushion. Is there anything else that you've identified that you can say this is where he can improve and allow the Seahawks defense to get better in the secondary as well? Yeah, just just understand where your leverage is. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think you you can't be afraid to – play guys tight and to play aggressively uh, play some aggressive coverage. And, you know, you can't play off and you can't just turn your hips downfield forever. You're going to keep giving stuff up underneath. So I just want to see more aggression from him uh, moving forward. And, you know, you know, I'm sure he's scared of of the big play, you know, when he's turning his hips too early or giving up all this cushion, but, you know, for you to get better and um, for you to understand how to play tighter coverage and get, and, balance that out in the NFL, you know, you, you have to take some lumps, you know, and I, I thought the game against the uh, Saints was an encouraging one. Do you see him as a good fit as a nickel? Because in college he played outside and the Seahawks were pretty adamant about putting him at the nickel spot. Do you think that could be part of the reason why he's not playing to the level that he could or just comfortable wise, comfortable being in this scheme, you think? Yeah, you know, you know, the the one thing that's still up in the air is is he physical enough to to play the nickel? Because you know, as a nickel, you're going to have to be part of the run fit sometimes, and you're going to have to blitz, and you're going to have to mix it up with some bigger bodies. And I, I think that part of it is still up in the air. Um, you know, I thought he was better in coverage against the Saints, but um, I think that would be the question mark uh, for the rest of the season: is is can he hold up physically in, in the nickel? Yeah, because I remember the preseason game against the Steelers, Pickens off the line of scrimmage just shoved my man. I don't know if you saw that clip, but he shoved him. Yeah. Yeah. He just (laughs) destroyed him. I was like, that's not a good look, especially if you're going to be playing, you know, nickel. And to your point, you got to be able to get in there and fill those run gaps. And that's tough to do. If you got receivers that are shoving you around. So hopefully improvement there continues, but I want to go back to Tariq. This dude, man, go, go gadget arms. He doesn't give up much deep. (laughs) If there's a critique from you outside of the penalties, where do you see, okay, this is where he can get better outside of the penalties? Yeah, I think just his technique with his hands and, you know, I think that leads to the penalties too, right? If you're mm. a little undisciplined with your hands and feet sometimes, uh, you just end up grabbing and, and, and lunging. And I think that that'll just get better with experience. The more receivers he sees, the more he gets used to NFL speed the more film he watches, he's just going to be more comfortable and he's not going to be, you know, he's going to, instead of being a little late where he has to grab, he'll be early. He'll be there in time. So um, yeah, not, not a ton, um, you know, not a ton of critique right now. It's because he's, he's making plays, but um, <laughs> the, the penalties and hands uh, are, are the thing that the things that he needs to get better with. And that's when Richard Sherman talked about the Seahawks to just go back to their bread and butter and cover three. I'm thinking to be honest, if Tariq, all he has to do is not get beat deep, I think he'll be just fine. <laughs> not yeah. only too many guys running by Tariq unless you catch him on a double move, but through the first five weeks, he hasn't been tested that way. He's he's li- literally been locked down, and that's good to see. So maybe Sherm has a point there, and they could do that, but it's just everyone else defensively, at least cornerback-wise, can they fill their role? Can they step up and make plays? Mike, did you have anything on the defensive end before I switch to the, the Gino? Yeah, because there's some there's some other yeah we, we're gonna get to King Gene uh, as well, but like um that uh, Ted in the in the joint piece that we wrote together last week for the Athletic, you know you you like as uh, thirteen Josh Johnson or Josh Jones, excuse me, mm-hmm. he's not tackling very well, um and they benched him, you know uh, for for Ryan Neal, how much do you think uh, just putting someone else other than Josh in there and that role 
can help some of the run defense of too, considering how uh, many missed tackles Josh had earlier in the year. Yeah, I think with Josh, he just did not look like he was very comfortable reacting and coming up towards the run and, and trying to make tackles. It, you know, he, he was just late whenever they, they did come, uh, when he recognizing run, and when he did come up to run, you didn't see him kind of come up at the angles that you want him to see. Him. He, he was kind of moving hor- horizontally instead of coming up and closing in the space. And when you do that, you give the running back more time and more space to make a move on you. Um, so, you know, I think there's some things that are very hard to teach and get down, uh, with Josh Jones, um, as far as run defense, which is why I think they made the move to ultimately bench him to kind of try to stop those explosive plays. I guess I'll stick to defense. I got one more for you and it's, it's regarding Quandre Diggs because I've watched the film and I don't think he's played bad, but I know he's been put in a position where he's having to do a little bit more than he has in Seattle, that is, than years past. And when you watch Quandre, what are you seeing from him and where can he be better at? I know he's missed a few. I mean, last game on Sunday against the Saints, he did miss a tackle that resulted in a 60-yard touchdown by Tatum. But Tatum, excuse me. But outside of that, how would you say Quandre is playing this season? Yeah, you know, I've, I've noticed that he was on – he is to blame for some of the big plays and explosives too. And I, I didn't expect that because I always thought Quandre, Quandre Diggs was a, such a solid safety. Uh, so he does look like he's playing a, a beat slow and it's kind of hard because, you know, like, like we talked about, there's so many things that's go, going wrong in his defense, miscommunications, but um, at, at the same time, you know, you just want to see him play a little faster and make a few more plays like, you know, that touchdown that Taysom Hill threw, he, he was on the back end. Um, and he, the crosser was running right towards him. And it just didn't look like he reacted fast enough. And, you know, maybe he was just waiting for Taysom Hill to run. Uh, but, you know, he, I just want to see him play a little, a little bit faster. And it's just hard because there's so many things going wrong. I think they're, everybody's playing a, a beat slow right now. Yeah, man. The, the Legion of Boom really just spoiled the, not spoiled the fan base, but it just set such an just an unreachable standard in so many ways. And it just oh mm-hmm. man, that's just it's it's so hard for some of these guys to come in and then not only come in and you come into the Seahawks building and there's all these pictures on the walls that are just like you. I'm talking like massive pictures that are like with churn plays, cam plays, all these plays. And then not only are those guys like on the walls, they're in the building. Sherm will stop by, Cam will stop by. I'm like, hey, this is how you play. This is what you do. This is what we did. And it's just, man, that's they're just not not living up uh, to that, even though they want to. All right, Ted, I'm going to give you promotion real fast. Congratulations. You are the assistant head coach on defense for the Seahawks. Congratulations. Um, Pete Carroll has given you a lot of money and he says, Ted, fix our defense, man. What can we do? Uh, what's your response? First day on the job. For, I, I think the first thing that could get fixed is communication. You know, maybe we do cut down on some of the coverages we use and trying to disguise so much and, and playing some exotic defenses. Maybe we just cut down a few of those things and make sure that we could communicate and do the things that we need to, to give ourselves a chance. First of all, you know, I, I think as coaches, that's the one thing that you know we have agency over is just making sure that our guys are in the right place and sometimes we have to cut down some of the fancy things we want to do to make sure that our guys know what they're doing and and two you know maybe we do go to a single gap Uh, maybe we do have that discussion and decide that we want to be a single gap team because we just don't have the the horses right now uh to run that system that, that we want to do so um to me, those are two things. You know, I, I probably would have sat Josh Jones too, so I, I agree with that move. That's worth that's worth six figures right there, Teddy. <laughs> right, there you go. Congrats! On, that's a great first day in the job. You just fixed the Seahawks in about thirty seconds, so that, that's excellent. I do want to go to King Gene, as Mike and the homies in the group chat have now given him the nickname. We got to find out something. Is there any? There's not like, a nickname. Like King Gene, man, that's a cool nickname. I think it's cool, but I think there's a better one. I just can't think of anything. Maybe it'll come to me. Ted, you got anything off top, man? Nickname for Gino? Uh, I don't have a nickname for him, but I have a nickname for uh, what's going on right now. Gino Volution. That's terrible, but... <laughs> no, I actually like that. I get exactly where you're going. A new evolution of offense with Gino Smith running it. I love it. Exactly. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. Mike, what do you think? I'm trying to see how that would, would spell that. I'm like writing it out on my computer <laughs> to test the... Cause I'll, oh, okay. All right. If it, oh, yeah, I spelled it wrong. All right. Okay. Then I, I can rock with that. I can rock with that. The bottom line is he has earned some type of nickname for something. <laughs> yes. for 
this being the uh, they, I ain't right back season or whatever, because that, that that guy is playing out his mind. Yes, he is. And I think it's it's I think we would all agree that it's pretty rare, almost can't even say the word rare, that we're witnessing such a transformation with Gino, a guy that we've seen a couple of stints here and there throwing bad making bad plays, aka holding the ball too long, fumbling, throwing interception, although the interception against the Rams last year wasn't his fault, but against the Steelers, he just held the ball too long and TJ Watt was able to make a play, force a fumble. But since that point on, with that training camp, I was watching them throw against the air. It didn't look great. And all of a sudden, season starts. He's doing check downs, not really throwing it. And then Pete's like, we're going to allow him to air it out because he can throw. And everyone's like, okay, Pete, we're trusting you again. We'll see what happens. And Gino has lit the league up. What yeah, happened? Go oh, ahead. No, it's unbelievable how, how well he's throwing the ball right now. I mean, you know, when you see him throw – back foot lasers, dig routes. He, he looks like one of the best throwers, you know, just pure throwers of the ball in the league right now with the velocity and, and spots he's, he's throwing into. Uh, it, yeah, it's it, it's one of the most stunning storylines of the season, I think. Is this a product of him knowing the offense and just being around the Seahawks and understanding what Pete wants to run? Or is he actually just that good? And we honestly slept, went under the radar. We just didn't know because he was always been known as the backup, the guy that can come in if something were to happen. Yeah, I think as far as arm talent, he, he's probably always had that. I mean, you, you don't just learn how to throw like that out of nowhere. Uh, but as far as making better decisions and um, just being more comfortable in this offense, is, it, that's definitely uh, factors this season that's helping him you know, taking the steps that he has as a passer right now. Um, you know, one of the things he was really bad at last year, like you, like you guys said, was he held on to the ball too long at times and his stats under pressure uh, were pretty terrible. But this season, you know, I think he's doing a really good job of balancing when to check down and when to extend the play and try to create a bigger play. And uh, you saw that against Saints where there, there was a few times where he did hold on to the ball and try to manage the pass rush to find some opportunities downfield. Uh, so right now I think he's doing a pretty good job of being um, knowing when to be aggressive and when to just check the ball down. And that's now, huge. And that's, that's the one thing that he needs to sustain for the success to continue. That was gonna be my next question, because you could look at up to playing the saints, the quality of teams that he was playing, for example, the lions, terrible defense. I think mm -hmm. me, I think all three of us can go out there and probably throw for 100 yards. <laughs> <laughs> you give us a good old line, we might throw for 100. That's how bad their defense is. And then you see them go against the Saints defense. You're like, okay, this Saints defense is not bad. That's actually a pretty good defense, especially in the passing game with the corners they have, safety play, linebackers are pretty good as well. And then Gino continues that. You talked about sustaining it. Do you think he can sustain it? As we get into maybe you look at the Giants, the Chargers, maybe even the Chiefs, even though their defense doesn't seem to be all that great, but just in a shootout where Gino can keep you in the game, but can your defense maybe make you play here and there? Is Gino can he sustain that? You think is that possible? I, I think it's possible, but when you look at some of his numbers, especially the deep ball numbers and the numbers under pressure, I, I think those numbers might be hard to maintain because they're so ridiculous right now, <laughs> but. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think as far as him playing well, I, I think that's going to sustain just because, you know, you, you just look at the reads he's making, look at the, um, the types of throws he's making. I, I think those things are repeatable. You know, I, I think he, he, I think he's going to be able to do it. Like he's making smart plays like that big, long Walker touchdown. He checked <laughs> into that play. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't know what he saw exactly. I think maybe he saw a nickel defense and um, decided he's going to check into it, but, you know, things like that are sustainable. Things like that are, are repeatable. Yeah, you mentioned the check down into a running play. He did that against the Lions. They came out on an all-out blitz. He saw a crease, and he said, we're just going to run it on second and 19, third and 19, third, third and 16. That's what it was, third and 16. Checks it to a run, and Rashad Penny shoots out like a cannon for a touchdown. And those are the things that, yeah, you're right. I think that that is sustainable, and it's it's been a great story to see for sure. And the pass he's throwing. He threw two touchdowns to Ty Lockett. Oh, my God. Damn. Yeah. Those are two of the better throws you can see all season. I mean, that, that second throw was just, you know, it was a little bit of a dangerous throw, but he put it in the absolute perfect spot, and that was a deep, long touchdown, too. That might be one of the throws of the year. Right? And we're, what, five weeks in now, going on the sixth week? This is insane. So, shout out, Gino. 
it's been quite a ride and boy was i wrong <laughs> yeah no that because you know gino talk, talked a little shit last week when someone asked him you know like hey you know you're leading the passer rating like this is kind of crazy he's been sitting for a while and then gino butt in he was like you surprised by that and the report credit to the reporter who asked that he was like yeah I, I, I am. I am. <laughs> yeah. And she was yeah. like, that's because you ain't never seen me throw. Like, I, but well, even for the most optimistic Gino people, like I was pretty, I was optimistic about Gino coming in, you know, but I, I, even for the most optimistic Gino supporter, I don't think they could have expected how well he's playing right now. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I, I, I tweeted that clip and it's, it went bonkers. Uh, but the, the reaction from the Jets fans has been interesting because there's been like two factions of Jets fans. There's ones that were like, dude, we did see you throw. We're surprised. And then there's some who's like, nah, man, we, this is 2015 Gino. We thought we were going to get before the, the fight with, uh, I can't remember the guy's name that, that, that punched him, but like that 2015 team was kind of built to help support Gino to be this in theory. I think that's the year Ryan Fitzpatrick came in and they won like 10 games. Um, so like that was kind of the thought. So it's kind of been, been interesting there. And a note on the defenses, real quick, the Geno's face. Yeah, the Lions and Falcons are pretty trash. Like Lions have the worst defense in the league. But the Niners, the Broncos, and the Saints by EPA per player, the mm-hmm. three and three teams in the top ten. Yep. You know, now granted he didn't score against the Niners, but no one scores against the Niners, apparently. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like the best, the best defense ever when everyone doesn't have broken bones. Uh, so yeah, like some of these throws, I mean, Ted, you watch the Saints to I think my favorite from the Saints game is probably that Noah Fant throw rolling left. Mm. Like that, that's a that's a dime. Like Gino had like three throws in there against the Saints that are like probably gonna be some of the top ten throws for the season. And yeah, it's like week five. You know, the Gino yeah. how you say it? Gino Volution, is that what we're calling it? G- yes. Volution. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect all the how well he's throwing off platform. You know, like I, yeah. I knew he threw well in the pocket, but these throws he's making off platform running to his left are pretty stunning. I'll yeah. say this 2023 NFL top 100, Gino <laughs> 74. <laughs> yeah. Damn, Gino was throwing, he, bro, against the Saints. See that throw? Run him to his left, hit Noah Fent with the DB chasing. I'm already calling the clip now. There it is. You just heard it. Gino Smith, not ranked last year, number 74 coming in 2023. Yeah, no, that 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 that's gonna be pretty crazy. I mean, he got a Madden upgrade, I think, after week two or three, and it only went from sixty-eight to seventy. You know, like that's how low even Madden had. It was like, yeah, okay, dude, you got better. Now you're a seventy. Like, whoa, that's a guy in year year ten. You know, there's yeah. He, I, think, I think Gino tweeted before the year about Madden. He was like, they got dudes who ain't never thrown a pass rated higher than me. Yeah, um, I felt now that I look at it, I understand exactly where he's coming from. Yeah, he had another tweet in 2020, I think. Uh, that, that was the year there were 10 black starting quarterbacks, I think was the most in week one history, I want to say. It was it 2020 or 2021 or something? And Gino quote tweeted, I think, the undefeated tweet that had that stat. It was like, it should be 11 quarterbacks. Mm. I think he might have deleted it since then. Or the, the replies on it were bad, as bad as you could think. And now I'm like, you know what? He was right. <laughs> it, 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 it should have been 11, man. Yeah, shout out to, to King king jane here i got one um, more for you ted did you have something mike no go ahead go ahead. so mike and i are big route runner connoisseurs all right i might spend hours just watching dudes run routes which is weird i don't know who else does that but i'm one of those people that do you and chad johnson that's it <laughs> okay fine what do you think separates ty lockett from everyone else in the league and his ability to run routes because i watch him and it's it's literally like poetry he's not I don't want to put too much out there, but I talked to him off wax and I, I found some interesting things about what he does when he runs routes. But I just want to hear from you, Ted, when you watch him, what separates him from all the other wide receivers in the league, you think? Oh, that's difficult because, you know, I, I, I haven't, to be honest, I haven't really studied Tyler Lockett like that. I always respected his game. Um, I always yeah. thought he was underrated, uh, but I haven't really studied uh, Tyler Lockett. Maybe I should because I know he, you know, he's one of the, the better route runners in the game. So I'm curious to, uh, to what he told you. Well, I mean, I guess it's not too much of a surprise because I, we had him on our radio show. We did a radio show over the summer called the hype of Chris and Mike. And I asked him, I was like, bro, how often are you running full speed and when do you use it and how do you use it? And the, the thing was, he was like, to be honest, bro, I'm 85, you know, 80%, bro, when I'm running. So I'm watching these routes. I'm like, dude, dude's not even sprinting, and he is blowing by guys. And then I think about the head movement, the fact that, you know, you look one way and a DB's backing up and he reacts to it, 
All it takes is that split second, and he's able to hit 85 maximum speed, and now he scores a touchdown. And even then, it's just crazy thinking of that because if I go 85%, he's probably going to catch my ass. <laughs> but then to look at Tyler Lockett do it, and he creates such separation, it's quite astonishing to see because I don't think Ty was running a 4-3 or anything. I think he might have clocked in at 4-4, if I'm not mistaken. So even when he's told me that little tidbit, because I'm thinking he's sprinting all the time. You know, I'm watching mm-hmm. the film. I'm like, oh, this dude's just running hard. And it's just like, no, he's at a really comfortable pace where he's able to control his movements and make the defender react because ultimately Tyler knows where he wants to go. The mm-hmm. defenders have no clue. And I just wanted to get your thought process on that. And then, like you said, you know, you just got to watch a little bit more of Ty Lockett. And so do I because I'm still learning stuff. Just watching those, rewatching the film on the game against the Saints, I'm like, God damn. <laughs> I want to count how many times he ran a corner before that that allowed him to get to that corner post because you had to set it up. And if he ran maybe two corners earlier and the ball didn't come his way, the defenders, he's like, damn, he's going to ran two corners on me. One of these is going to get thrown that way. And then he breaks back to the middle of the field and it's toast. So, okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was it. Yeah. I think that, 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 that route you're talking about the first touchdown against the saints and the end is they, they, uh, I don't know how much there was like 12 seconds left. So that corner is playing the, the, the safety is playing the, the sticks, like, I mean, not the sticks, the sideline. Like, yeah, all right, he was way out, out of bounds. Yeah. yeah, he's like, all right, I know he's gonna probably try to run out of bounds if he catches it. So let me play it that way. And Tyler sold it. Yeah, no, no, that, that dude. I've been trying to tell uh, Chris that Tyler's one of the best route runners in the league for for quite some time. Uh, just for wow. reference, where we get out of here, Tyler ran four four flat. Uh, okay, so I was in. Okay, Around but that's before part. he broke his leg and uh, yeah, he had, lost he <laughs> broke his leg in 2017. So like, who knows? Uh, well, see, <laughs> another thing is the big argument that Mike is talking about is that we had our top ten route runners. This is probably like 2019, Mike, 2020. Uh, something not... like that. Ty Lager wasn't on my list. And I Mike was killing me. Chris, you crazy. <laughs> and I still, it's I think it's close. I said Ty Lager was probably like number 11 or 12, which is not a diss. I just think there are guys that are a little better. Like, do you understand where I'm coming from, Ted? Even though, you, like you said, you haven't watched a ton of Ty Lager film, but I think you could probably come up with 10 wide receivers that you're like, Tyler might come to second to this guy just because of A, B, and C. That's all yeah. it was. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I mean, I think there's probably some flashier route runners than Tyler Lockett out there. Like when you watch a guy like Justin Jefferson and you know, he's just so flashy with the, the moves he makes and um, it, it's so noticeable. You know, I, I think the thing with Tyler is he's so explosive out of his breaks and maybe it's the, it's the point that, you know, he's able to play at 80 and all of a sudden when he hits 100, it just looks different, you know? So maybe that's, that's what separates him. See, Mike, well, don't, don't, don't shoot the messenger, man. <laughs> I'm just going to throw this out here before we get Ted out of here that ESPN has kind of debuted its new kind of open, quote, open score, um, mm-hmm. kind of uh, that, that's new uh, analytic or, yeah, basically just new metric they have to track receivers and who gets open the most. You know who's number one through five weeks? I like it. <laughs> just, throw, just throwing that out there. That's not a coincidence. I'm sure if they backtracked and looked up from 2018 on, Tyler's probably number one for the that time span too. Just so saying. you know, what we got to you know what we got to do next time we have Ted on. We're gonna have to have everybody break down their top ten route runners. <laughs> we, right, I mean, that, that's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm more than we need. We need to get Seth Seth on here too. Seth, who uh, works for ESPN, that I think is behind kind of generating that metric too. Just saying, number one, not Cooper <laughs> Cup, not just Jeffrey. Tyler, Tyler, number one. Uh, Ted, you got anything you want to plug? Uh, you got any film film study reviews you got coming up uh, for the week or that you have out that you want to want to plug while we got you here? Yeah, I, mean, I, I was so tempted to write a Geno article this week, but I was like, man, I already, I already wrote about the Seahawks last week. So I'm going to uh, I'm writing a story about the Giants offense right now and how Ooh, okay. how coaching has. Uh, well, not just the Giants offense, their their entire team and how coaching is really um giving them an advantage, you know, on, on both sides of the ball. Yeah, no, that's uh, – as someone who might pick up Daniel Jones this week in fantasy, uh, that might be uh, – <laughs> Oh, do you know if you're desperate? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm very desperate. I have – I'm on one – and one of the – I think in the league that I'm going to do that, we only have four bench spots, um, and the Raiders are on a bye. I have Derek Carr, Demonte Adams, oh, okay. Josh Jacobs, and their kicker. So that's four dudes all on a bye. So that's my entire yeah. bench. And those are not four – I'm not going to drop any of those guys. You know, I can't yeah. – Carr's a good quarterback. Devontae's one of the best receivers. Jacob's top five back. And then Daniel's the best kicker in fantasy by ESPN's scoring. So, yeah, I'm kind of – so yeah. I'm desperate. Yes, might pick up Danny, Danny Dimes. So, yeah. 
I beat Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey this week thanks to Taysom Hill. Mm. I plug him in at tight end. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure Ted said, oh, Saints going up against the Seahawks? Let me get Taysom right now. <laughs> My fun. Like, Go ahead. Yeah, I was like, man, I see. I, I was watching this run defense all week for, for Mike and that article, <laughs> and I was like, they're, they're going to run Taysom Hill. So I was like, I'm going to plug him in. So actually, it was your – you know – Writing this article with you helped me in fantasy this week. It's funny. Oh, I, I I told Mike after the Falcons game, I said, bro, if you want to have a career day, play against the Seahawks defense, running back or receiver, or tight end as it is, because it's been Cordell Patterson <laughs> when the Falcons play the Seahawks, TJ Hawkinson, <laughs> and then Sunday. <laughs> Mike, who was it again? Taysom Hill, man. Taysom, Taysom Hill. Hill. Oh, yeah, they're now, playing the Cardinals this week. Uh, it's somebody. Yeah. So I'm like, hmm. Zach Ertz, Hollywood Brown, James Conner, you know, Benjamin. Like, there's just all these options on guys to just go crazy. You know, I hope it isn't the case. You know, I'd like the right? defense turn around. But, yeah, I like, can't deny the numbers. Like, yeah, just doing an article on the Seahawks helped Ted win a fantasy matchup. That's, <laughs> that's, that, that's insane. Like, that's it. But it makes sense. He watched the film. We're like, oh, boy. <laughs> All right, pick somebody up, and yeah, that was that was that was troubling. So yeah, not we we need that Geno story though. To at some point, man, I'd love to, I'd love a film breakdown of yes, what's working for Geno right now because he is. I'm gonna write a story about him today after we hop off this podcast, man. Like this might be a guy the Seahawks have to pay, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or somebody else will. Here's there's a there's a double digit number of teams that that would upgrade a quarterback if they got this version of Geno Smith. That's the. Starting with Denver. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah, that is uh, spicy. Boy, that's, that's, yeah, that's spicy, spicy one from, from Chris here. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, that is the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Uh, my name is Michael Sean Dugar. That's Chris Kidd. Shout out to our special guest, uh, Ted Wynn. Does great, great, great work on the athletic, yes. man. You got you to you gotta follow his work. You have to have to go follow him on Twitter. Ted, what is your Twitter so people can check out your stuff? That's uh, FB underscore film analysis. And even got his name in it. That's how you know you filthy. My name ain't in there, man. <laughs> that's, and that's how you know what you're gonna get too. You're gonna get you're gonna get great film breakdowns. It's gonna be yes. just, just great stuff, man. Between between you, Dane Brugler, Nate Tice, and Deontay Lee, I just can nerd out on our site for hours. And it just it's just so great. So thank you, Ted. We appreciate you. Thank you guys for listening to Seahawks Man to Man podcast. We'll catch you next time. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, The Athletic. We appreciate the love. And we're out. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.